0: Uh, hey guys. Oh, well, Small, smaller crowd, which means I must have done a good job last night, um, the, um, Uh So I've been asked to speak to you guys about science and faith, and um, each one is quite a complex topic, which I don't exactly feel qualified to speak about. We've got to try and um, bring it together, so um, let's let uh, these guys talk about it for us. Admitting
1: that evolution is Get a lot god oh. damn you mac yes please do mac now as you can see this is the evolution meter and i've put god the creator of everything on the right side and evolution on the left i've went ahead and put you guys all on the fence because of course you're going really to hear of my actually yeah start where i would start no matter i'm righteous i'm not gonna stand here present some egghead scientific argument based on fact I'm just a regular dude. I like to drink beer. You know, I love my family. Rock, flag, and eagle, right, Charlie? He's got a point. No, he doesn't. see, Charlie, these liberals are trying to assassinate my character. I can't change their mind. I won't change my mind, because I don't have to, because I'm an American. I won't change my mind on anything, regardless of the facts that are set out before me. I'm dug in, and I'll never change. Mac, look, you're wasting our time you're not gonna get us to not believe in evolution. And why is that? Because the smartest scientists in the entire world all agree that it's real. I'm glad you brought that up. Because Mr. Reynolds, science is a liar sometimes. Oh boy. This is Aristotle, thought to be the smartest man on the planet. He believed that the Earth was the center of the universe, and everybody believed him because he was so smart. Until another smartest guy came around, Galileo, and he disproved that theory, making Aristotle and everybody else on Earth look like a bitch. Of course, Galileo then thought comets were an optical illusion, and there's no way that the moon could cause the ocean's tides. Everybody believed that because he was so smart. He was also wrong making him and everyone else on earth look like a bitch again and then best of all sir isaac newton gets born and blows everybody's nips off with his big brains of course he also thought he could turn metal into gold and died eating mercury making him yet another stupid bitch. are you seeing a pattern no <laughs> mr reynolds These were all the smartest scientists on the planet. Only problem is, they kept being wrong. Sometimes. This is insane, you fool. I'm a fool because I have more faith in the saints that wrote the Bible? Yeah, because you just read the words of a bunch of guys that you never met, and you just take it on faith that everything they wrote was true. Mm. And what makes you think what your scientists are writing is any more truer than my saints? Because there are volumes of proven data, numbers, figures, there are fossil records. Oh, fossil records. Ah! I didn't even think about the fossil records, I guess I'll concede. Oh wait, one more thing before I do, Mr. Reynolds, have you seen these fossil records? Have I seen? Huh? Have you poured through the data yourself, the numbers, the figures? Well, no, no. Oh, interesting. So let me get this straight, Mr. Reynolds. You get your information from a book written by men you've never met and you take their words as truth based on a willingness to believe, a desire to accept, a leap of... dare I say it? (laughs) Faith? Ah, Come on, come on. Look, I mean, I don't even know how I'm supposed to respond to that. Like, come on. That is—that's a, a false equivalency. Just it. answer the question, Mr. Reynolds. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I rest my case. Oh, that got me. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Frank. Do you want me to put me? Yeah. All right. Yeah. What? Well, we're going on the fence. I mean, it's a shadow of a nail. You actually don't believe in evolution anymore? I don't know. He created a reasonable doubt. He makes me sound like a stupid uh, science
0: bitch. Oh, that's oh my God. So, that, that was. Betting that, uh, that ever. Um, back. Yeah. So, I feel like that encapsulates a lot pretty. Like, it's a parody, but um, it encapsulates a lot about how the, um, the day to day lay person's um, discussion about faith and science is. It's, um, you know, you, you think about these uh, debates that you have on the internet, it's one person who's probably not qualified to speak about. Um, about faith and there's probably another person not qualified to speak about science and they're um, going at it. Um and you get these you get this situation where you know you see people who you consider idiots talking about um talking about these topics. And um and I think the purpose here isn't for me to try and um try and educate you guys about like the intricacies of evolution or the origins of the universe because the fact is, is that I don't have the answers for that and um, and I don't think we could have brought anybody in to, to actually answer these questions. Um, what I kind of want to bring up today is to try and rectify some misunderstandings about what science means um, in, our, in our day-to-day life and how I think the the term science um, has been misused um, uh, in today's um, language, and how we have been falsely positioned as Christians to, um, to think that, um, that, that that you know that believing in God is somehow unscientific. So I guess these are the three kind of ideas that um, the three general things that I want to talk about today, that belief in God and the understanding of science they're not opposite things Um, and that they're actually to me uh one and the same thing um two that the bible which is commonly attacked as being unscientific or not factual um, never claims to actually um, be a a source of scientific um, knowledge for humanity and that its purpose is actually different, which was talked about uh, in Dave's talk uh, last week. And then three, that, um, that the purpose of science is that, well, the very nature of science as I'm going to talk about it is, is that it can never answer the questions of what our purpose is, what our destiny is, uh, the story of our origins as, um, as, as humanity. And um, by the very nature of how I'm going to explain what science is, is that it can't answer these questions. Um, and I guess I like to be thematic in the way I talk, so I'm going to be talking about three characters as well in the course of this. Um, before three actual people this time. So uh, next slide. This is kind of a like a like a time frame of. Um, you know, big scientific and religious events uh, throughout the course of history. It's um, very sparse, but uh, um, it's probably really hard to read. Um, uh, like, it like talks about uh, St. Augustine at the top there, um, and it goes through different philosophical um, uh, moments in the course of human history, for example, um, you got uh, Isaac Newton and, his go- and the um, discovery of the laws of gravity. And you kind of get this point here where Charles Darwin comes along with his um, uh, theory on the origins of species. Um, and he goes to visit the Galapagos Islands and uh, sees the variation in uh, the wildlife there. Um, and then it's kind of from this point on that you start to get this debate about um, whether or not... Um, belief in, in God and uh, belief in a creator is uh, concordant with um, the idea of um, the idea of you know, observable science uh, and uh, if they can be one of the same thing but kind of prior to this point pretty much all of the scientific um, uh, discoveries are motivated by um, by a belief in God and a desire to understand the rational order behind which he by which um, God created the universe, and then you kind of got all these moments in time after Charles Darwin. So uh, you have you have certain moments where um, where um, people are motivated by God in in um, in, in the um, scientific uh, discoveries. For example, they talk about um, a uh, Belgium um, uh, a Belgian priest who comes up with the theory of um, the Big Bang, Georges Lemaitre. Um, and then, um, but you've also got some people, so the famous evolutionary biologist um, um, uh, Richard Dawkins, um, who who came up with the, the theory of, um, of of memes, as um, and uh, who who obviously is a, um, a strong uh, atheist. Until uh, you've got the next person on the on the slide, who was in like two thousand and nine next slide um, was appointed by Barack Obama to be the, I guess, one of the top scientists in America and he's um, he's a uh, 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 self-professed uh, uh, Christian as well so you kind of see there's this interplay between um, scientists who are Christian and motivated by a desire to um, uh, discover God and um, people who are, who, who are not Christian so uh, I don't think it's as clear cut as you know, uh, all scientists these days. Uh, if they're noteworthy or they're scientists to, um, who are well credited, um, that they don't believe in God. I don't think that's true at all. Um, so next slide. So just a quick background. So the idea of religion as a concept is actually um, is quite recent prior to the 17th century, it's just an accepted fact to believe in God. And there isn't, like, it's part of your identity. You don't kind of see it as a separate thing that I, you know, I I believe uh, in God or I believe in a religion. It's just part of your identity. It's an accepted thing. So until the 17th century, there not really a word for it. Um, And um, it's kind of, termed differently than the word religion. So you have, um, I'm sure Dave would have talked about it last week, um, the word Torah um, means instruction or law. Um, and, um, and that's the kind of authoritativeness that that, um, that concept had. It's not religion, it is the law. Um, and then science becomes um, a word in itself in the 19th century, so, so really recently, only 200 years ago, and um, prior to them, it was just the study of natural philosophy, where uh, philosophy is, um, is just wisdom itself, the pursuit of wisdom itself. And uh, natural philosophy just being trying to observe um, the physical world um, it's wisdom. So, you can see all these quite um, profound texts that have been written in the past by no- notable figures. They talk about it in terms of natural philosophy, not in terms of science, and we don't have concepts like bio- biology and physics until a lot later. Um, next. So what I'm trying to set up here is that um, the concept of God and science, they're not uh, really separate things, what you actually have involved is the um, opposition of not, not God in science, but rather um, two different philosophies, okay? And the first philosophy is that, you know, we believe in a God, and then the other philosophy is that we don't believe in a God, and uh, we don't believe that uh, God created the world, um, but that um, somehow the world was able to come into being uh, by itself, and that's um, theism versus naturalism. So it's not actually science um, that's the opposition here. As you see before, science is the discipline kind of by which you try and view the world. It's the tool that you use um, in order to, to observe uh, nature. Um, and you actually what you actually have competing is philosophies, different modes of thinking. Um, and there's a really good tool, it's hard to get the um, screenshot there, but that's a dude called uh, John Lennox, and I put a link there uh, to a video that he talks about, it's about an hour long, and um, and he is the uh, Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at Oxford University, and he gives a talk about, uh, is belief in God anti-science, uh, is belief in God anti-rational, and um, and it's a really, really great talk, so you should, and doesn't job much better than me so uh, I, would, I would highly recommend watching that video and it's very accessible um, but what I want to set up is that what we're actually talking about is uh, conflicts in belief it's not actually a conflict between God and science uh, and I'll elaborate that a bit further so this is the first guy I want to talk about uh, is there any guesses as to who this guy is He's a very distinguished, handsome man. Uh, his name is uh, Francis Bacon. And um, Francis Bacon um, was born uh, a Christian. And um, he, uh, he studied under the Archbishop of Canterbury before he became the Archbishop of Canterbury. And then he went to Cambridge and he was visited by the Queen and the Queen said something about like, how, how smart he was and all that. And... Um, and um, He's, uh, he's a very interesting figure. He, um, his motivations uh, for wanting to de- develop a different method of looking into the natural world uh, is motiva- was motivated by God. And this is a quote by him knowledge is the rich storehouse of the glory of the Creator and the relief of man's estate. Um, and prior to Francis Bacon's arrival, Aristotelian thought, so um, basically the way that people in which viewed the world was highly, highly influenced by Aristotle. Okay, so, um, Aristotle lived before Christ, and um, he was the student of Plato, um, and this is all in uh, ancient Greek culture. And, um, and Aristotelian thought was, um, was mainly based on something called deductive reasoning, which is where it's 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 actually not too hard of a concept to understand. It's when you already have a uh, something that you deem to be true, and then you derive other truths from it. Okay, so any math equation when you do algebra, when you think of when you already start off with uh, x equals something, and then well. You want to find what X is. You already start off with a statement. You know that statement is true because it's there, and you have to try and derive what X is. The way you derive through it is deductive reasoning. But what Francis Bacon thought of was something called inductive reasoning, which is where you don't start off with the truth. You start off based on what you observe, and then based on what you observe, you try and derive the truth on that. So if you think back to when you do your scientific practice in high school, you start off with you start off with a hypothesis, and then you start off, and then you, you observe that thing in action, and then you try and derive conclusions from that, and that's inductive reasoning. And Francis, the way um, when he when he talks about this, this actually becomes the basis of our scientific method that you know, everyone uses today when um, when they conduct scientific experiments. So, it's, trying to, it's, it's in this man's way of trying to observe the natural patterns within our world that he believes is set out by God, that he shapes the way science works today. Um, and I think it's, and I'll come back to this quote a bit later, but um, he said something very interesting, which is, a little philosophy inclines man's mind to atheism, but depth in philosophy brings men's minds about to religion. And uh, I want you to remember that quote as I talk about other people um, later on in this presentation. So this is the this is essentially um, what I was saying before. So this is the text that um, this is the book that he publishes, and basically he has a high reverence for Aristotle. This guy loves Aristotle, uh, but he sees that there's something not quite right in everybody just thinking the same way as Aristotle. Uh, everyone just going based on deductive reasoning as the way to observe the world. And he, um, and he comes about with a new way um, to look at the world. Um, and yeah, he's pretty much explained already what this is about. So you've got um, so now you've got modern day scientists um, utilizing the, the methods of um, set out originally by Francis Bacon and the way they carry out their experiments nowadays. But then you've got them um, starting to make statements that aren't actually scientific. They're not, they're not based on, um, on things that are observable. They're not based on things that you can measure. Uh, and they, they make statements like this. Uh, religion, so Stephen Hawking, religion is a fairy story for those afraid of the dark. What, what part of that statement is can actually be measured, can actually be observed in people? It can't be. So this isn't a statement of science. It's a statement, it's a philosophical view. It's a statement of belief. It's a belief that people like us cannot face the truth, which is, there's no way to prove that's true. Um, so next slide. And so what I think is actually being done here is, is a debate of philosophy. And it's that when scientists make statements um, they're seen as scientific statements. But I don't think that's necessarily true. When a scientist says something, not everything they say is actually a true scientific statement. Scientists are also capable of making statements of belief. They are free to express what they believe. Uh, but I think you start off with a false Premise here that everything that scientists say is, is a statement of science, um, and then what they try what's, what's tried to do with a statement like that is that um, anything that so things that have not been explained yet um, is that religious people, people like uh, people like us Christians that we try and attribute God as just a patch to things that cannot be explained yet. Um, which, again, is another statement that is not observable. It's not uh, able to be directly measured. And so you have a false assumption like that. And therefore you make the statement that therefore believing in God is an unscientific thing. And do you see here how this in itself is deductive reasoning. It's a syllogism, kind of Aristotle's view, which is Kind of the opposite of what Francis Bacon was trying to do when developing the scientific method. You start off with statement one, that when a scientist makes a statement, it's a scientific statement. When um, um, when, um, when religious people, um, uh, they believe in God, they're just trying to make a patch for, um, for things that cannot be explained yet. And therefore, whenever God, whenever, um, um, therefore, uh, the belief in God itself is an unscientific thing. And I think that in today's discourse, this is what's being presented. But I would challenge us to actually be more upfront with our faith, to, to be able to say that God is the explanation from the very beginning for even things that we can observe in our natural world. Um, so next statement. Next one. Uh, so this is a quote from C.S. Lewis's book um, Miracles. So, Men became scientific because they expected law in nature, and they expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator. In most modern scientists, this belief has died. It will be interesting to see how long their confidence in uniformity survives it. Two significant developments have already appeared. The hypothesis of a lawless sub-nature... And the surrender of the claim that science is true we may be living nearer than we suppose to the end of the scientific age so to begin with before before the advent of you know this modern science is that people went out and observed the world because they expected there to be a pattern they expected they they knew from that this world had to be rational and it had to be rational because it was created by, um, by a being that was rational and this is how they went out and, um, and, and uh, viewed the world uh, and approached the world. So the next kind of idea that I want to talk about is that the Bible itself being attacked as kind of an unscientific source and um, I'm really just going to copy everything that. Dave said, so I'm really referencing Dave in a very scientific move by me Um, and essentially the breakdown of the the styles of the Bible so I don't think anywhere there it says that it's a a high school textbook Um, and then the whole idea of the Bible is it's trying to tell a story and um, the essential story is that of um, humanity's redemption Um, and the only way of redemption through Jesus um, next slide.
1: So this is this of uh,
0: like probably should read this in your own time. It's uh, it's really good, um, but um, this was uh, written by uh, Augustine in his uh, Confessions, and um, he essentially um, he essentially says that he, he he essentially says that the story of uh, the story of creation. Um, was never actually meant to be a scientific statement to lay out exactly how God created the world. Uh, it's, a, it's a mythology tale. Um, and the, 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 the audience that the, the story of Genesis is, um, is being written to is people who understand the world through the lens of storytelling, through, um, through mythology tales. Um, and that he... Obviously, back in the fourth century, um, is saying that you know if scientific evidence comes along that you know that God didn't actually create the world in exactly 7 24 hour periods and um, and uh, it's not it's not exactly like that. And you have evidence um, to the contrary. You would actually be foolish to um, to to be uh, going against that. Um, and it's not the, and, and the last line I think is the most pertinent one, is that the, the intention of that story isn't to, isn't to appeal to you and me who have gone through high school science and have some basic understanding of um, physics and biology. It was to actually appeal to the people who were reading um, the Bible at the time, the people that Moses was writing um, Genesis 2. And um, um, and it's actually to impart the spiritual message of, um, of uh, um, that story. So, um, it was not the intention of the Spirit of God who spoke through them to teach men anything that would not be of use to them for their salvation. So, it, it would never have been useful for people uh, back then, or even for us now, um, to... Uh, for that story to have been, yeah, God created um, guanine adenosine and, um, and you know, put it in a double helix structure. And uh, it doesn't, that's, everyone would not read it, just like everyone doesn't read their high school textbooks now.
1: Right.
0: So then there's a bunch of other things that um, that are commonly attacked as well. So things like a flood, but I'd actually um, posit to you that pretty much every mythology in the world um, talks about a great flood. So from, um, from Mesopotamian culture, the epic of Gilgamesh, so I think they found tablets back to like 700 BC about that, um, and it's, uh, it's quite a well-known, and it's like very, uh, it's, 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 it's cited as the first uh, modern, it's cited as the first novel ever recorded, and everyone loves it. Uh, I've read it uh, it's very boring um, <laughs> Plato's Timaeus so this is Greek and then um, oh I forgot to include it but there's actually um, an Indian there's actually an ancient Indian text that talks about a huge flood as well and they're found in the ex- excavation sites um, the, um, the the presence of floods um, you know people think like, so the idea of um, in the Genesis story about how it's, it's um, the whole world is flooded you know this is, it, it, even though, you know, there's probably no evidence to say that the entire world flood, that's not the point. It's talking about um, the world as it was known back then, um, I think is the point. But there is some, um, so it's, it's, it's not quite strong when people say, oh, there's no such thing as the flood, because there actually is evidence, and every culture talks about the flood. Um, things about um, evolution. So... Talking about the creation of man. Um, I think the most pertinent part in uh, in Genesis is when, in talking about the creation of man, is that uh, man is created in God's image and that um, God um, breathed his own life through the nostrils <coughs> of um, the human beings that he created. And um, I think when you compare it to other mythologies where the birth of humanity is actually through violence and bloodshed, so literally blood spilling on the ground and that being the watering of for the plants that is to be human beings. Uh, I think it's in stark contrast to a God that lovingly creates something out of his own hands. And I think that's the point. And as I said before, it's not a, it's not meant to be a scientific discourse on the exact cell structure of humanity created from like a single cell and dividing billions and billions of times to become a human being. That's, that's not the intent. Of um of um of the creation story, and then the Big Bang. So, um, so in the Big Bang is the is the beginning of a singularity. Uh, in some point in human in um, the creation of the universe, there was a singularity point, something when everything started from one point. And I think the Bible actually talks about it as a start from one point, because they talk about in the beginning and that's the start point in john talk about the word and that's a start point so i don't think it's um, i don't think it's in stark contrast that people see that there is observable signs of all every all things coming from a singularity point at some at some point whether it be billions of years ago or millions of years ago or however they are uh, however it's decided how long something occurred ago, I, think, I don't think it's uh, unscientific at all for us to believe that it all came from a single origin. And I don't think it's uh, wrong for us to say that that single origin is God. What I would say to you is that the focus the of the Bible is why that origin came to be, rather than how it came to be. So the second guy I want to talk about I uh, forgot all this, this uh, oh you didn't even give people a chance to guess he's a handsome guy called Gregor Mendel. Uh, this is uh, Gregor for games um, so this dude was also, um, was also um, so he was a friar and uh, he was an Austrian guy and um, he was the son of a farmer and basically he went into religious life because at the time um, going into an abbot was pretty much the only way to get free education, otherwise you would have to pay for it. Um, and because he was poor, that's what he decided to do. So you can see, I guess the point of that is, back then, back then, being, being religious and pursuing science was one and the same thing. It was, that was funded by the state to pursue science in the name of religion. Okay. And uh, you guys all probably know him, if you did um, biology, that um, he he is the founder of what's called Mendelian inheritance, which is the basis of how we understand genetics, all right? So, um, when your mother and father created you, um, the reason why you look the way you do, and you are the way you are, based on your mother and father, that that all comes from Mendel. So, He was encouraged by the people who owned um, the uh, monastery in which he worked, so other religious people, to conduct experiments on plants um, to see how they grew. And um, the the way that this worked was uh, he bred thousands and thousands of pea plants and he just saw what happened to them. He saw what happened to them over the course of seven different traits, which included seed colour um, seed shape, um, what the colour of the plant became like, the flower of the plant became like, and, and so on and so forth. And uh, this is an example of inductive reasoning, so where you where you observe what happens and then you make a conclusion about it. Um, and this is occurring all at the same time as Charles Darwin, when he goes and he writes his book on the origin of species. It's, it's exactly the same time frame. And, uh, Prior to these two coming along, the, the theory of inheritance was uh, called, um, it was called uh, uh, breeding inheritance, which is basically the idea that your father has a set of genes, your mother has a set of genes, you're just the average of it. And there's no differentiate like you're just the average of the two, which is a hard concept to understand. I can't get it myself, but you're just the meshing of the two together to make one person. Um, but with Mendel and how he observed how, what, the, what happened with the plants, in that, you know, say there's a purple plant and a white plant, maybe out of four of those plants in the next generation, three would become purple, one would become white. What he saw... Uh, he described as law of segregation and law of independent assortment. So all these different seven things that he saw, he saw them as passing down individually to each plant, uh, and passing down in a in a pattern. Okay, um, and that's different to what Charles Darwin thought. Um, and then you see, based on actual observations, so when they actually looked under a microscope, when microscopes were invented, they actually saw. The actual separation of chromosomes going into the different um, into the offspring, um, what will become the offspring. So they actually observed what Mendel um, suggested when he came up with this conclusion, and that's how Mendel's theory of um, inheritance became the basis of um, of how we view genetics now, rather than what everybody else thought before him. Okay, and so the point here is that um, this guy. Funded and encouraged by religious people, trying to uh, work out the um, work out the natural world through the lens of God, um, was able to shape the way that I look at genetics now as a doctor. Um, next, so essentially, the Bible never. There's no chapter on genetics in the Bible. It's not like between. It's not between like. You know um, Genesis and Exodus, the chapter on um, genetics, and, um, and any of the any of the other theories that I talked about for the inheritance of um, genes could have been correct, um, and I don't think any of them would have had um, would have had any opposition to um, what uh, is claimed in the Bible. There would not have been. Uh, any contradiction or anything to say that God doesn't exist. If any of the other theories had uh, been true, um, so you can you can make scientific statements and um, you can utilize the tool of science um, to understand um, uh, the, the um, God's um, orchestration of this universe, or you can just uh, or people just do it without the motivation of God. Um, behind it um, but, and, and that's what science is so science is a tool that is independent of, um, of of what your motivation is but that's the way to recognize science is that it is a tool right? it, it's, but when you start to make statements that are statements of belief that is when you're outside the realm of science and you're not actually making scientific statements and Einstein himself said that um, men of science make poor philosophers, so he recognizes the limitations of science. Okay. Uh, so, Johannes Kepler. So, um, this is this is a an and uh, he says the chief aim of all investigations of the external world should be to discover the rational order which is imp- which has been imposed on it by God, by which He revealed to us in the language of mathematics. So, it's to, so the motivation is to pursue God, to actually work out the way in which he set this world to be. And I would posit to you is, if God didn't exist and you didn't believe that this world was a rational one, why are we using rational methods to investigate an irrational world? You can't actually set patterns to something that does not have patterns, right? Um, I'm kind of, uh, what people now who are trying to move away from the idea that um, there is a guy makes statements like this, so Cos- Lawrence Krauss is a cosmologist, and if you 're wondering what 's the difference between an astronomer and a cosmologist, an astronomer observes the physics and patterns of movements of celestial bodies and um, and actual the actual direct observation of it. The cosmologist uh, makes congest- makes conjectures based on what astronomers find to to define what they think is the origin of the universe and what the ultimate destiny of the universe is going to be, um, which people think is going to be the end of the universe. Um, but he writes, Surely nothing is every bit as physical as something, especially if it is to be defined as the absence of something. So basically, he's saying nothing and something are the same thing, which. I don't know, maybe we're very stupid but like, that makes no sense to me at all um, so then that leads me to the next final question that I want to talk about, which is what the purpose of faith is and that's uh, another noteworthy scientist a <laughs> very handsome man um, and I'll give you, oh, I'm going to brag about my credentials here, so so look at how good I did in high school. Look at how good I did in high school science. I, uh, I'm pretty sure I either got a distinction or a high distinction in those University of New South Wales science tests as well. Look how good I am. But um, even then, you know, I I don't feel qualified to, um, based on all this, um, to answer these questions of, the origins of our universe, the origins of our species through the lens of science itself. And I don't think I can bring in any scientist to answer these questions. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that these questions are not questions of science because they're not observable, they're not measurable. These are questions of faith, these are questions of philosophy, it's a question of your belief system. Alright? Next. So, being able to understand the fundamental laws of science is not the same as being able to understand the purpose of, of our purpose as a species on this earth. So I'll give you some examples. Uh, I'll talk about things that are specific to my field, which is medicine. So, there's the, so the brain is, uh, is actually quite a um, poorly researched um, organ of our body. So we know that... Um, we know it is the center of receiving uh, signals from the external world and, and from our internal body, and it processes these signals and it segregates them into different areas, and based on those signals, it sends out signals to the rest of our body to be able to do things and interact with the um, external world. But the way you guys see the brain isn't like that. You guys just see the brain as... This is, this is what I used to think, this is what I used to reason, this is what I used to understand the world. And I don't think that those two viewpoints are against one another. There's an understanding of what the purpose of the brain is, and there is another understanding of the principles behind the brain. Okay? And, um, and I think that is the same way that which we, with which we can view um, with people and the way our world is there's a there's one view for the purpose of humanity and there's a, another viewpoint of you know um our biochemical makeup and the evolution of humanity and um, and and our and our biology these are separate viewpoints and they're not clashing they work together they answer fundamentally different questions um Isaac Newton on gravity So, Isaac Newton discovers the laws of gravity but he never actually, and he concedes himself, he can't explain what gravity is. He can explain how gravity works, how gravity interacts on things that are observable, but what is the actual fundamental purpose of gravity? Gravity isn't an entity that goes, I want to bring everyone down to the ground. Gravity is a force that people don't know why it's there. What's wrong with us just floating around? You know? So these are two fundamentally different questions and you need two different lenses to which to view them. So a lens of philosophy and a lens of science to answer these two separate questions. So, next. so Wittgenstein is kind of your classic tortured philosopher and this guy like tried to kill himself... Um, because of the weight of his genius. And, uh, so he's taught by a guy called Bertrand Russell. And uh, you guys, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bertrand Russell, but he, uh, he's this uh, famous English uh, philosopher who came up with this thing called uh, Russell's teapot, which is uh, meant to be a counter-argument against the existence of God. His, his point is that if I claim that there's a teapot circulating around in the universe, none of you can disprove that there's a teapot uh, floating around in the universe. And therefore, um, therefore, the same reason as the way Christians say that there's a God, nobody can disprove that there's a God. So therefore, it's fundamentally unscientific for us to say there's a God. And it's unscientific for him to say that there's a teapot floating around somewhere in the universe because, because we can't observe it. Nobody can disprove it. And um, it's meant to bring us down for thinking in something that other people can't disprove. Which actually works to my point is that he, that the idea of um, the idea of belief is not observable. It's not um it's not directly measurable. And so Wittgenstein was actually born um, a Catholic. Then he got some education, and then he was smart enough to realize, oh, I should become an atheist. And then he became even more of a deeper thinker. And then became smart enough to realize, oh, wait, atheism doesn't answer my questions of purpose and destiny. And then he becomes older and supposedly wiser, and then he do, and he concedes that there's a God at the end of the day, and he um, writes a li- uh, So, so this is what I wanted you to remember: that a little bit of philosophy brings you towards atheism, but a lot of philosophy brings you towards God. Um, and the last thing, the last thing that he ever writes about religion, um, he writes that uh, to the glory of God. Uh, that my neighbor may be benefited thereby. That is what I would like to say about my work. So what he's what he's actually saying is that what he wants people to realize through his struggles is not to go through what he had to go through to reach God. That people are benefited by his struggles to actually just reach God in the first place. Um, and uh, what he what I think is um, really great that what he said is the great delusion of modernity is that the laws of nature explain the universe for us. Uh, the laws of nature describe the universe, they describe the regularities, but they explain nothing. So they don't explain the purpose of things. They explain the patterns and, um, and um, how it works, but it doesn't explain what its purpose is. So, I guess to summarize all this, um, is, is basically this idea that I think you've got two separate questions um, going on. And science is a tool by which we can answer the questions of what can we define and observe in our world. Uh, but the questions of what our origins are, what our destiny is, what our purpose is, what is morality. These are metaphysical questions, things that we cannot directly observe. And, uh, and if science is a tool which measures things and, defi- and um, is, able to, is, is used to observe things, by its very nature, it can't answer questions that are metaphysical. And so does that mean, you know, that we should feel stupid, um, that we are that choosing to, uh, that we are going against science observation to try and answer metaphysical questions? Well, certain people think so, so Richard Dawkins says, using God as an explanation is absurd, since God is by definition more complex than the thing you are explaining. So you're saying that you're stupid for um, trying to use God as an explanation uh, for, things, uh, for things that are simpler than God, because you're just using something more complex to explain, to explain something that should be simpler. But then I guess the question um, that you would ask him is, any book that he writes, if I'm trying to explain what he's written, to another person who hasn't really read the book or doesn't understand it, if I say, well, where did this book come from? It came from Richard Dawkins. Isn't that going against what he's saying? If I'm trying to say that this book came from his mind, that he actually wrote it down, isn't Richard Dawkins more complex than what he actually wrote? Right? So, my, what I would posit is that um, a metaphysical question requires a metaphysical answer. And um, do metaphysics hold weight or importance in the physical world? Well, what I would say is you have a brain which is physical, but it's actually your mind that interacts, that reasons, that connects with other people that's more important than the actual physical structure that is your brain. The purpose of it is more important than how it works. Um, So I do think it is important in our physical world. And by extension, I think God, um, as as what I would say as a physical being, but as a metaphysical being in this kind of uh, context, holds importance in our physical world too, the same way that our mind holds importance over our body. Uh, Next. Um. So I just want to leave you with this of how you can go down these different routes. So the I think the fundamental conflict is between two opposing philosophies, which is a belief in God or, be, or a belief that there is no God. And it's not actually between God and science. And this is what you could go down if you go down the atheism route, which is Charles Darwin's famous doubt. Uh, But then with me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the conviction of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. So he's saying that because we have evolved from lesser creatures into what we are, how can we even trust ourselves um, to to be um, correct in anything? Because we would just evolve into something even greater than what we are now. Something even smarter than before now. Capable of reaching even greater truths um, than what we are now. So things that we believe now, things that we are coming up with now are, are rubbish. Uh, compared to what it, uh, what it will be. Um, and that's the kind of insanity that you can drive yourself into if you... Um, if you try and take God out of the picture. But for me, when I, um, when I was struggling with these questions as a non-Christian, and then with supernatural intervention coming to God, um, I come down to a, a, a path that I think ultimately brings me towards sanity when I'm here on Earth, but um, one that brings me to uh, ultimate salvation that I'm a chosen person um, and that, um, that I'm God's possession and that um, He's brought me out of darkness and into the light and that you know I feel that that's worthy of eternal praise. Um, so I'll just leave you with these last messages. Uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect, and um, but seek first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you.